Hello and welcome to the Do One Better podcast in philanthropy, sustainability, and social entrepreneurship. I'm your host, Alberto Ligi from London. Please click that subscribe button and follow us if you're not doing so already. And do leave us a rating and a review. It helps others to find the show as well. Today, it's an absolute pleasure to welcome onto the show Sarah Woolno, Chief Executive Officer of Asthma and Lung UK. We're going to be looking at mergers within the UK nonprofit sector. Asthma and Lung UK is actually a product of the merger of Asthma UK and the British Lung Foundation not that long ago. So we're going to be drilling into that, looking at the pros and cons, the opportunities and the headaches that, uh, that Sarah has been coping with and driving forward. So without further ado, Sarah, a big heartfelt welcome onto the Do One Better podcast today. Thank you. Lovely to be here. Well, it's great to have you on the show. So you're the Chief Executive Officer of Asthma and Lung UK. Why don't we start by finding out a little bit about the organization you're leading? What's it all about? Yes. So we are uh, the, the National Lung Charity, and we do a few different things. Uh, we've, we fund medical research, so to better understand asthma and other lung conditions, to find new ways to diagnose and treat them. We also provide advice and support and services to the one in five people across the UK who will experience a lung condition during their lifetime. We run a helpline. We've got about 150 Breathe Easy support groups around the UK, bringing people together. We do things like singing for lung health, harmonica uh, courses, lots of different ways to support people living with lung conditions. And finally, we advocate and campaign for change. Uh, so we feel really strongly that too often people with lung conditions or at risk of developing lung conditions don't get uh, the focus and attention and prioritization. And we're really passionate about transforming outcomes for lung health. But we know advocacy is, is a key part of that. Mm. And the organization itself, what's it look like in terms of the number of people, your footprint? Yeah, so uh, we're the product of a merger, as we'll, we'll, I think, come on and talk about. But we're about 170 people. Uh, we operate across the UK. We raise about £15 million a year uh, with ambitions to, to grow. Um, and we spend the most on medical research, but sort of swiftly followed by um, advice, support and services. So we've got a nurse run helpline. Uh, we lead volunteer groups and so on. So it's a, a good mix, nice size organisation. Um, most people based out of London, but absolutely not exclusively people dotted across the UK. And you cover the whole of the UK. We do. We do. Okay. And the 15 million income, uh, how is that segmented? Where, where, where are the main sources of that? Yeah, so um, it's quite diverse. I mean, if, as in common with lots of health charities, legacies uh, are, are a really important source of income. So about 40% of our income is legacies. And then we raise money uh, through community events. So we've just had the London Marathon. And that's always a, 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 bit, a big one for us. Um, through corporate partnerships, a little bit of major giving, not as much as we'd like, um, some trust income. One of the things that's happened over the past couple of years because we've merged is actually our income sources have got more, more diverse. Um, uh, but we've got a job to do in current climate to, to keep that coming in and to hopefully increase. Yeah. And for those listening, legacies being 
when people are, are leaving something in their will for, for the charity in question. So I'm not surprised that indeed legacies are a big source of your income. And it's nice to hear that your income is quite diverse. Not all charities benefit from that luxury, um, but it's good. As I mentioned a minute ago, and I think this would be the thrust of our conversation today, you are the product of a merger. And I know mergers within the uh, nonprofit world, especially within the UK, uh, interesting subject, uh, multifaceted, and a lot of things one could say about many different aspects of it. Um, introduce us to to that merger. What, um, who merged with who? How did that happen? When did it happen? Yes. Well, I've worked in the charity sector for uh, many, many years, so I've observed a few different mergers, um, and I also know how difficult it is for charities to merge, partly because you're not incentivized to do so, which we, you know, could we, we could talk about for a long time. In in many ways, you're not incentivized to do so. But the Asthma UK and British Lung Foundation merger um, really was two organizations coming together for a range of reasons and believing the best course of action was to merge. I think too often uh, what really happens in reality, certainly in the UK, is that there's a takeover or, you know, one charity is in serious financial difficulty or, you know, for, for various reasons, one organization might need to be rescued. In, in our case, that wasn't the situation. Um, both charities had existed for many years. They were both finding uh, fundraising challenging, uh, you know, both raising about seven, eight million pounds. Um, there was strategic alignment, you know, there was not huge amounts of difference in the aims and objectives of the charities. And that's always a really good basis to say, well, look, hang on, um, would we be a bigger force if we came together? Um, so there was a there was a financial backdrop, there was a strategic alignment. And this is something that way before my time, um, you know, there were conversations over the years, how could the organisations work better together and collaborate? And was there a case for coming together? There was also some personal stuff mixed in um you know uh, uh, one of the ceos um uh wanting to step down um you know groups of trustees who were amenable to coming together and and considering this as a course of action and i think what i've learned over the years is you you need that mix of ingredients uh you know one organization can rarely drive something without genuine uh willingness the other side and often it is this this um sweet spot of or moment in time where different factors come together and you think yes um, you know we can do this and the benefits outweigh the costs and the challenges of which there are a few um, I joined uh, technically after the two charities um, had officially merged they officially merged um, on the 1st of Jan 2020 and then COVID hit, of course, um, a couple of months later. And I joined in the December of, of 2020. COVID took over. It, it, uh, of course it did. Um, and a lung charity through a, a global respiratory pandemic meant that it was absolutely all hands on deck. And I mean, we, we, we might come on and say a more detailed word about this. Um, but actually, a lot of the merger work had to be slowed down or put on hold because all effort was focused on helping people living with lung conditions navigate COVID. 
So calls to our helpline were up about fourfold, visits to the website fivefold. Um, at one point, we were taking 1,500 calls a day. I mean, just utterly unprecedented demand for services. So actually, that meant that when I came in, um, I mean, my predecessor who, who saw through the, the first bit of merger did a wonderful job, um, but it meant that we didn't have, as a merged charity, a strategy. We didn't have a name. Uh, we were two operating under two brands. Uh, we, there was an awful lot of stuff associated with the merger uh, that had to be picked up and, and kind of got on with. And I know that actually me not being associated with either forerunner charity hugely helped, I think, in saying, uh, you know, come on, we need to do X, Y, and Z. We need to present ourselves to the world as a single charity. Uh, and we need to genuinely feel like a single charity uh, as, as an organization. I can imagine how challenging that must have been. Let me go back a little bit uh, uh, right before the merger happened. You mentioned a little bit about the financials and the context and one of the CEOs looking to step down and so forth, various aspects. But how would you characterize the drive for this merger? Was it um, board members from both charities knowing each other, talking about it? Was it the chair of one talking to the chair of another? What drove it initially? How did this start? I, it was it was a mix of all of those things. And I mean, I think that goes to the heart of, I think it's really difficult. I've been on the fringes of other potential mergers over the years. Um, previous organizations that I've worked at nearly merging. I've been a trustee in a different part of the charity sector where we considered mergers. And for various reasons, they never quite came off. And I think that's because you didn't have enough drive and you didn't have enough goodwill and you didn't have enough actors uh, leaning into the merger. So a strategic alignment, a recognition that organisations were doing in some cases similar activities, uh, you know, perhaps a bit of duplication, would we be better aligning, uh, you know, there's a hell of a lot of work to go around here, how can we deliver the very best for beneficiaries and the people that are supporting us, you've got to have decent trustee engagement, and, and that was the case, so groups of trustees talking to one another, the chairs talking to one another, a working group set up of dedicated trustees that could give it more time uh, and focus and get it over the line, executive team members, as well as chief execs talking. I mean, I, I, I think it's unlikely that you can successfully drive a merger uh, unless you have enough buy-in, in, enough people giving time and effort to it. Yeah. As far as the boards are concerned, did they consolidate? Did one board step down? What did that look like? Yeah, so it was a mix of, um, it, it was done in a sort of very fair way. Let's have half ex-Asthma UK trustees and half ex-British Lung Foundation trustees. Um, and conversations were had uh, about, you know, getting a decent mix of uh, medics and, and academics and, and more lay trustees in keeping with, again, quite a lot of other, certainly medical research or health charities, we have three out of 12 trustees are respiratory academics or doctors. So it's really important that we have a good mix. Uh, we had the uh, chief exec of Asthma UK stayed on at, at the early parts post-merger with the chair of the British Lung Foundation. And I do again think some of those 
that's important. You've, you've, it, 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 well, it was certainly important because very much this was a merger of two charities rather than a takeover of one by another. And so the mood music and the optics and how this is presented, um, it's very much, look, we will be a stronger force together. We can do better for people with lung conditions if we come together rather than, uh, you know, one charity has more heft and say and weight than another. Um, so we've inherited, I inherited quite a complex uh, set of trusty rolling terms. And there's been a huge amount to do across the board to harmonise policies, procedures, ways of working. Um, and my advice is get on with that as quickly as possible uh, and try to get through that because culturally it's really important that you feel like one charity. But in terms of in terms of the trustees, it was it was let's have six from one and six from the other and then gradually you'll roll off and roll on uh, asthma and lung uk trustees which we are in the process of doing now the relationship between a chair and a chief executive very close a lot of personal dynamic interesting that in this case you had the chair from one organization and the ceo from another coming together and hopefully that gelled quite nicely yeah well i think it was really important that um they had a clear contract and a clear plan about you know what they wanted to achieve and actually um the the ceo from asthma uk always had it in her plan that she would stay for a period and stabilize and then she would hand over um to somebody who uh you know wasn't associated with either forerunner charity and tessa baroness blackstone who is my chair she's actually stepping down today we have a, a board dinner uh to thank her um and she has been very clear with me that she wanted to bed in a new chief exec to see through quite a lot of the merger heavy lifting and then she will hand over the reins to to, to somebody so I think there's been very very mindful planning and I think that has hugely helped um, to recognize there are you know particular jobs that need to be done we have been on a journey uh, you know a slightly exhausting journey uh, because mergers are hard work um, but that you are sending signals that, you know, there's a new phase coming and or, you know, we've got a new name, we've got a new brand, we've got a new strategy uh, because we have been determined to quickly present ourselves as a single new entity with a great culture as quickly as possible. Mm. You mentioned the harmonizing of processes and trying to get that done as quickly as possible. What about professional advisors? Because conceivably, these two organizations had different lawyers, different bankers, different auditors. Um, how did that work out? It's still being worked out. And I mean, that's what I, you know, in that's a way, all the that's, fun, huh? that's all the fun. Um, I, I, it's a lot of work to do it. Um, I think you've got to go into these things with your eyes open um, and you've got to have energy and you've got to have, you've got to have goodwill um, and you've got to have the right set of expertise um, because uh, for example, um, you know, we had a, we had quite a challenging audit last year from the perspective of, you know, this is bringing two financial systems together quickly, a pandemic um, and not challenging 
from a sort of sending alarm bells, but from a it's 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 a it's two separate organisations coming together with different financial systems, different ways of working, different ways of funding research, different ways of recognising gifts and restricting income. Um, so some of this hasn't been for the faint-hearted. Um, we have uh, a. I am lucky enough to have a brilliant executive team um, and, and a chief operating officer who with, with you know, his team has driven a lot of this. It, we've had a plan. We've ranked it. What are, the, what are the absolute priority things that we have to do quickly? What are some of the processes and um, procedures that we need to sort? But, you know, it, the lights aren't going to go out if we don't do them on day one. So, again, we've tried to match ranking to capacity in the organization um we were laughing as an exec team not long ago that it's so great not to be talking about harmonizing processes and procedures as a major part of our weekly monthly agenda because we are through the bulk of that but it takes time mm. was there a cultural was there an appetite between um, within the, the the human capital, as it were, of both of these organizations, was there an appetite for this merger, or was there a sense of ambiguity, being slightly unsettled, apprehension, perhaps? So it's it's a great question. Um, I mean, a bit of both, but I do think the pandemic helped the merger and helped the organizations come together quickly, and hugely helped kind of break through any ambivalence and helped quickly develop a single culture. And I think there's been this tremendous sense of pride um, that, you know, we have been there and done our best to deliver when people have really needed us. So, you know, for people with underlying lung conditions, if you're living with asthma or COPD or another lung condition, um, millions of our beneficiaries were shielding. Uh, millions more weren't told to shield, but were naturally very anxious when, when COVID first hit. And so this idea that, you know, we can help and we'll do our very best to help, be that on the helpline or health advice or being involved in research projects to better understand long COVID uh, and, and, you know, deliver great patient insight to, to academics. It massively, I think, accelerated the development of a single culture this sense of look we're all in it together and um, and also just structurally it helped we had to make some very quick decisions because we didn't know quite where we were financially um, through COVID and we were adapting to virtual working it kind of cut through and gave a burning platform to make some of the changes that post-merger you would have wanted to make and probably would have needed to make anyway we made them quickly um, and the dominant feeling was we're here helping people who really want and need our help. Let's do that together. We're better together. Uh, you know, we've got, we're a stronger force and we can do more. So I feel incredibly fortunate. I mean, we can't be complacent um, that we, that I haven't had to work as hard as I thought I might uh, around culture um, because there's generally been a really positive can do um, sense of, pride i think in, in in what we've tried to do and what we have done over the past couple of years mm. i can certainly see how an external threat or an external challenge like the pandemic drives forward internal cohesion i can and 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 purpose right yeah absolutely i mean i think the other 
The other thing I, I knew before I arrived because of my previous work history in, in, in cancer and um, lung health, there's this feeling, um, I mean, that it, it, it's right that it's a feeling, lung health and lung conditions, respiratory health have been a Cinderella uh, condition and specialty uh, we have spoken to um, thousands of people living with lung conditions academics policy makers a range of stakeholders over the past year or so in developing our new strategy and new identity and and brand and there is a golden thread about feeling that lung diseases are not taken as seriously as they should be people with asthma are too often sort of dismissed as oh it's just asthma uh, as though the the academic sector hasn't had the resource that it needs so I think the other strong sense is we need to be a bigger bolder more active force for people with lung conditions and for lung health and we stand a better chance of that if we're a single charity and post-merger we can we just we're just operating on a bigger scale I mean still not quite as big as I'd like um, but we can do more we can have a louder voice and so that has excited people it's united people and again has helped foster this sense of uh, excitement I think about mm. the future. On that last point and you said not as big as I'd like um, not to get ahead of ourselves, but is there an appetite perhaps to embark on yet other acquisitions or incorporating other organizations that might be within your landscape or periphery and it makes strategic sense? Is, is that something that might be uh, percolating in, in people's heads? Uh, I, I mean, I could say something flippant about everyone needing a rest uh, before that, but before that sort of endeavor. No, I mean, the, the, the short answer is... Um, and, and this is absolutely central to the way I work and my vision. I want to work really well within the sector and collaborate and be a, a partner to both the NHS, with other charities, with with the private sector. Um, I so it's not on the it's not on the immediate horizon. And you know when I first joined I reached out as far as I could to as many organizations and people in the sector and I have um, lots of strong and growing relationships um, it would have to be a meeting of minds so it, it's definitely a well we wouldn't be it's definitely we're not saying we wouldn't be open to, to to other mergers or other collaborations or other partnership working but I don't see anything immediate on the on the horizon. And, and as I say, and as I've lived through, it's it's hard work. So you've really you've really got to want to do it on both sides, um, if, if possible. And and, you know, the environment has to be right. It also has to be worth it. You know, it's a lot of effort to take over or merge with organisations where or be merged with where there isn't a perceived value. Um, so, so yeah, you know, approach with caution, I think would be the mantra. Excellent. Now you said when you first joined, uh, you reached out to a lot of the stakeholders and fact finding, I guess, part of the exercise would be fact finding exercise. Um, here's a question for you. Did you, did you join and were you compelled by this, this role because of the merger or in spite of the merger? Because not everybody would be inclined to come into a new role within a newly merged entity that, and never mind in the private sector, but within the not-for-profit sector, could be a complete mess, right? And you don't know exactly what they're telling you, right? An executive search firm might say, oh, this is glowing and everything's glowing and all the reports look great. 
but you know, when you start digging deep, maybe not so much. So tell, tell us a little, you must have a, a risk appetite to some extent. Yes. Yes, I mean, I, I really tried to do my due diligence, mm. uh, as anyone would advise you to do. But you're right, you can only you can only do so much of it. I was compelled by the merger in part because because I truly bought into um, there needs to be a bigger force for lung health out there. Um, I, I, there. There's some personal reasons. I lost an uncle to mesothelioma, which is a really nasty lung cancer uh, he was dead within five months of his diagnosis. This was 20, 20 odd years ago. You know, there was no, there was nothing. Uh, and, and I had previously spent many years at Cancer Research UK, very large medical research charity. Um, and, you know, seen the, the green shoots of progress on lung cancer. But, you know, cancer, uh, lung cancer is one of those cancers with poor outcomes. So I have felt really passionately. I've done a lot of campaigning work on on tobacco control. So I felt very passionately uh, about lung health. But I was compelled by the merger. I also thought. I mean, I tried to come in with a really philosophical. I will learn an awful lot. And I was in a place in my career where I wanted to learn. I wanted a new challenge. But I I, I won't say the first day or week wasn't you know pretty pretty terrifying because I started in a lockdown so I didn't meet anyone um, uh, face to face for months um, I had to give a, an update to the board of trustees on day four you know progress on new strategy like hang on I've only just arrived and we're merging and we don't have a strategy um, <laughs> so it, it, it felt being as though I was being thrown in slightly at the deep end um, but with a really supportive great group of people around me both trustees uh team members um and and yeah it's been it has been a, a I mean it's been a learning experience um but I was I was absolutely right to do it you know personally and and I hope for the charity because um you know there weren't too many skeletons in the cupboard, shall we say. And, uh, you know, there has been an opportunity to push forward in, in a few different directions. Great. And the people you were meeting with initially, those stakeholders, those members of your senior team, even mid-level and, and, and people in the front lines who came from, from two separate organizations, was there much of us versus them or us and them mindset when they were engaging with you, when they were shedding light on their thinking with you and experiences? Not as much as I thought there would be. I mean, there's an element of people being polite to the CEO uh, and, and, you know, what they will say and what they won't say. Um, I mean, absolutely, in speaking to some external stakeholders, you pick up on sort of past relationships, past history, politics. As I say, it's a massive help to me that I'm, I, you know, I'm, I'm fresh. I, I don't know what happened 10 years ago when so-and-so kind of had a difficulty with um, a different organization. So I think trying to come in um, and, and be very positive and proactive about, well, look, we're a new organization. It's an opportunity to do things differently or do things better. But I mean, let's, let's be specific and name some challenges. There clearly was a worry that, um, you know, asthma may get less attention. You know, you had a single asthma-focused charity. You're merging to become a national lung charity that covers everything. More of the income came from Asthma UK than the British Lung Foundation. So how are you going to ensure that you have enough 
dedicated research support advocacy around asthma. Um, how, how is asthma not going to get consumed and lose its identity? Um, as just one example of a, a real and a live issue. Um, and maybe different, different kind of approaches to advocacy. So, so on the asthma side, there'd been a lot of detailed policy work about uh, and advocacy work about, you know, how you get better pathways of treatment. On the Lung Foundation side, it'd been much more thematic, uh, you know, how do we how do we do diagnoses better for anyone with a lung condition? So it, there was definitely, and there still is, uh, uh, bringing together of approaches. What we've tried to do is foster a sense of um, you know it's great to have good, lively, constructive discussions, um, and we've also tried to work our way through and attack some of the challenges head on. So with the um, asthma issue you know one of the things we've had to be at pains to do is make supporters donors feel absolutely that their money can still go where they want it to and where they thought it was going uh, you know restricting appropriately asthma income making sure that in terms of our research portfolio we're funding enough asthma research versus other lung condition research all of that's really important because you know anyone that works in a not-for-profit will know you know the trust of your beneficiaries and supporters is just I mean you live or die by that so we've had to and we've wanted to take people on this really careful journey Interesting how you mentioned the the income from the asthma side was greater. Yes, I mean, I mean, not not massively greater, but the the in terms of in terms of the makeup of income, I suppose in summary, the British Lung Foundation was more reliant on restricted income uh, and a few major donors and other restricted income streams versus more. Uh, unrestricted asthma money. Um, so we've had to do quite a lot. Um, <laughs> you know, when I joined, there was a rather complex reserves policy as an example of how we should be treating different, uh, you know, income streams into the organisation and how we can protect certain funds and how we can make sure that we are critically honouring the wishes of people who are giving us money. We've taken that, I mean, I take that incredibly seriously. We're getting to the point where we are trying to simplify a little uh, because we feel years on, we've got a, an ambitious strategy that speaks to all lung conditions. We're trying to raise the bar for everyone and actually lots of fundamental medical research, uh, better understanding how lung disease starts and develops and how we can diagnose it more swiftly will apply across the board. But the short answer is, um, yeah, it's been it, it's been. It's been complex to make sure we were uh, financially accounting for and uh, honoring honoring people's wishes. What was the biggest challenge and maybe unexpected challenge? But what, was there any time where you lost some sleep when you really you, you, you found something, a challenge that perhaps even seemed insurmountable or an intractable problem? What was the biggest challenge? In, in driving this forward? Well, look, I mean, I think I, I, in a way I can't speak for getting the formal merger signed. So, I mean, I know uh, there were some... Uh, that, may have been, that may have been easier than dealing with the aftermath. Well, I mean, I think one of my, one of my the biggest challenge actually has been getting the new organization, i.e. the new name, the brand, the strategy launched reasonably quickly um 
I made the decision I wanted to. So, so when I arrived, we were operating two brands. And the biggest insight is that was confusing people. Uh, you know, it, 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 it was a deliberate decision that was made to get the merger over the line. Let, let's keep operating two brands initially, and then we'll decide what to do about it. And actually, you know, some a new CEO can decide what to do about it because that takes away some of the heat and, and, and some of the politics. Then COVID hit. Uh, so, you know, it's slightly delayed um, and then I arrived and I spoke to lots of stakeholders and then commissioned various bits of research that so we spoke to thousands of people living with lung conditions uh, supporters of both charities as I say policymakers, academics other stakeholders so that we could come up with a name a brand a strategy that felt genuinely co-produced by the community and that would be accepted by um, as many people and embraced by as many people as possible worked with a fantastic brand consultant and and strategy consultant to help us get there the biggest challenge was um, getting it done by the date we'd said we'd do it. So um, I think there is and, and this is one of the biggest lessons I take, you need to keep momentum going. You know, you do have to rip some plasters off in, in, in this stuff. You know, merging systems, merging processes, restructuring an organization, developing a new strategy, renaming a charity. You know, people have opinions and they don't always align. And you do have to, I think, keep the sense of, and, and also, quite frankly, running two sets of processes and running kind of shadow operations, which we have had to do, um, you know, running two websites and running two CRMs. It's frustrating for people on the ground doing this stuff. Um, and, you, you know, it takes longer. So ripping off the plasters, having this sense of momentum and doing as much as possible quite quickly is critical. That's a big lesson I've learned. But I, 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 we, I, I'd named a date, you know, I wanted to go live on the 28th of Feb. That's where we were going to launch our new name and our new brand and our new strategy. And I did have a few sleepless nights, um, you know, January time thinking, gosh, is this just too much to do? Uh, because there was an awful lot of stuff that had to come right, you know, legally with the charity commission, uh, making sure that on day one with a new name and a single brand, we could honor people's wishes in terms of how they gave to us and who they gave to, uh, et cetera, et cetera. You know, everything from have we ordered the new t-shirts uh, and are they the right color for our new brand to legally and financially have we done what we needed to do. I probably underestimated how much work it was. <laughs> <laughs> what about the uh, the biggest challenge you were expecting that never materialized? Was there something that you were really dreading perhaps and, and when it was all said and done, you're like, well, that was easy. Okay, renaming charities is, is not easy. Um, and I think one of the lessons I've learned is try to avoid doing it if you possibly can, because um, no charity wants to throw huge amounts of money at any uh, marketing agency, both to rename and rebrand, but also then to raise awareness of a new name and a new brand. But in our case, we felt we needed to. We were confusing everyone. And I would have meetings with, you know, the head of the NHS or a minister, and I'd have to spend the first couple of minutes saying, well, look, I know we sound like two charities, but we're not actually, we're one charity, and this is who we are, and this is what we do. And I just, you know, that's not sustainable. Um, uh, and, and 
our supporters and beneficiaries were confused. They would say things like, well, are you just working more closely together because of COVID or are you just working in partnership? And we probably hadn't helped in the way that we'd referred to ourselves because we'd sometimes said, oh, our sister charity. And actually that wasn't right. You know, we had technically merged, we'd legally merged. So we needed to do something about that. We took advice. Um, everyone had an opinion. Uh, and I think there was a bit of correlation that the, the uh, the stronger the opinion didn't always correlate with the amount of sort of professional expertise that people had. So, so my challenge was, um, and I thought it would be a bigger challenge, getting a new name over the line um, and getting people to accept it. But it wasn't. Actually, well, um, it will be an ongoing challenge, but it was easier than I thought. I, I had um, a long list of key stakeholders, um, including the brilliant man that set up the British Lung Foundation, a respiratory professor um, who I had to phone. He, he designed the original logo for the, for the British Lung Foundation. You know, it's very dear to his heart. And I had to say, you know, Sir Malcolm, uh, you know, we've got a new name and a new brand and this is what it looks like. I happened to ca catch him on the phone as he was sailing around the Caribbean. So he was predisposed to... Uh, to, to be in a really sort of positive mood and frame of mind, but more seriously, lots of our support groups, lots of people who, you know, um, uh, raise money for us and have done for many, many years, feel so attached to one or other of the previous organisations and their name and their branding. And I thought it would be harder with those groups of people. Um, I mean, there were some grumpy people, there are some grumpy people who don't like it. But actually, I think my lesson is, you do your homework, you do your research, you co-produce the best you can. And then in the main, people accept it and, you know, they get used to it. Hmm. I um, One of the things I love about this podcast and interviews like this is that it really gives insight to specific case studies and challenges that, that leaders are facing and, are, and how they're coping. You have a, an abundance of experience in, in the field here with, with regards to the merger are you happy for people to contact you directly, other CEOs, other trustees who might be facing similar prospects and trying to get insight of, you know, get your words of wisdom? Absolutely. And I mean, I, you know, I, I'd love to learn from others. I have long been a passionate advocate of where it's right, more mergers in the charity sector. I completely understand people's personal emotional desire to set up charities. You know, it's such a wonderful thing to do, often in honour, in memory of something that's touched people deeply, is to set up a charity. But the reality is, there are probably too many Um uh, charities not operating at scale at times and and you know you can you can cut back office costs you can um, cut some duplication by merging if, if conditions are right so um, I'd, I'd love to talk to others considering it who've been through similar situations uh, we've got a lot I've got a lot to learn from others excellent I love that passion for learning speaking of which you're an alum of the London School of Economics, and so am I. And I think we were both wandering the campus at the LSE uh, doing our degrees a, a little bit over 20 years ago. But we were literally there. We overlapped, I think. I'm pretty sure we, we were there at the same, the same time. Tell us a little bit about your trajectory since leaving the LSE. Um, well, I absolutely loved my time at the LSE. Loved it. I got, well, my, my undergrad was a, a politics degree, um, government degree, and I did an in international comparative politics master's. Um, I wanted to uh, work in policy to make 
change for the good of society. That's kind of been the, the driving force. I have never had a master plan. So I worked for uh, members of parliament, a couple of members of parliament, actually one um, as part of an internship whilst I was at the LSE. I worked in policy um, in in a couple of different organisations, a brief stint in the civil service. I then spent a long time at Cancer Research UK. Um, I was on the exec board there for eight years and I did a secondment as part of that back into the department. Department of Health to write a cancer strategy. Um, I've also done quite a bit of non-exec stuff, mainly around the charity sector. So I just feel incredibly fortunate that I have had interesting roles and the driving force has been trying to, um, you know, make positive change in society with with a focus on health. Wonderful. Before we wrap up, what's that key takeaway that you'd love for the audience to keep in mind? after they finished listening to today's show? Well, as the thrust has been about mergers, um, I mean, from where I'm sitting at the moment, there's been so much positive um, energy to come out of our merger. It's been an opportunity also to reintroduce the organization and what we stand for um, to to the world. And what we're trying to do is, is transform how people think and feel about lung health. And I've, I've just no doubt the merger is helping us do that. Excellent. Well, Sarah, here's to your continued success. I appreciate you taking the time uh, today out of your busy schedule. So thank you so much. It's been an absolute pleasure hosting you on the Do One Better podcast today and, uh, and getting better acquainted with the stuff that you're doing. Thank you. Thank you. Perfect. And that's a wrap. Thanks very much for tuning in. As always, you've been listening to a great chat with Sarah Woolno, Chief Executive Officer of Asthma and Lung UK. For information about this conversation and nearly 200 other interviews and case studies with remarkable leaders in philanthropy, sustainability, and social entrepreneurship, just visit our website at lidji.org. That's L-I-D-J-I.org. Please click that subscribe button and follow us if you're not doing so already. And do leave us a rating and a review. It helps others to find this show as well. I thoroughly enjoyed producing today's show. I hope you learned a lot about mergers within the nonprofit space, the pros, the cons, the headaches, the opportunities. And I look forward to catching up with you next week.